and I'll read one verse. Just a quick announcement. We had a great meeting in Larned, Kansas last Thursday night. That turned out well. Outdoor crusade. Had a group from Wichita that came and did praise and worship. And then we ministered. We had uh, one lady just powerfully saved by the blood of Jesus. Just the Lord really did a work. One of our young men felt led during praise and worship. I saw him just take off, go walking to the other side of the courthouse because that's where we were holding the crusade. And he went and just knocked on a white house. He said the Lord put that house on his heart. He invited the lady to come out to the outdoor meeting over there, and she did, gave her heart to the Lord. She just wept and cried. I was preaching on the prodigal son, and it just really, really touched her. And then I got the backstory of how he felt led to go and knock on that door. So it turned out to be a very, very good meeting, which was interesting because I told some folks, I told Tiff a month or so more before that. I saw the meeting in a dream, just went to sleep, and uh, dreamt, saw myself preaching that meeting, saw folks there, and God talking to me about that meeting, and then this happened just like you see it. So thank the Lord for how God ministers and how God speaks and how God saves. Amen? Amen. Amen. He's not left this earth without a witness and without a testimony. Thank the Lord for that. Okay, in John chapter 8, I want to read verse 44. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Now let's back up to verse 28. And I want to teach a lesson this evening entitled, Lies That Satan Tells to People. Lies that he tells. And it says, They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. And then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then ye shall know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me, and the Father has not left me alone. For I do always those things that please him. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Now, obviously, Jesus' ministry was unique. He had a profound influence upon people who were religious and also upon people who didn't know God. They had never seen the kinds of things that he did. They had never heard the kinds of teachings that he taught. You can see in the sentence in verse 28, but as my father has taught me. So even Jesus was instructed by his heavenly father And he followed that instruction closely because he said, I do only the things that please him. That tells us there are some things that make the Lord happy and there are other things that displease the Lord. Now, tonight, as we look at this lesson, I want us to see how how conniving the adversary is in trying to pervert people's minds and change what they believe about God. Sunday night I taught 
a message entitled Things That You Should Know About the Devil. We looked into 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. But here I'm focusing on something different, particularly the deception. And notice verse 31, Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Here's the first lie that the devil will tell people, and that is, number one, if you want to be a disciple of God, you don't have to continue in God's word. You can be any religious person that you want, be part of any religion that you want. It's not about following the words of Jesus that are important. It's just about loving God and knowing God. So they would say any religion that a person is a part of would be acceptable to the Lord. Now, to be a disciple is to be a learner. It's to be a disciplined person. The the scripture says, take up my yoke upon you. Follow me. The whole point of a yoke was to direct the activities and the direction of oxen. So these big, huge beasts of burden, a thousand pounds or more, as strong as they are, if you put a yoke on their neck, you could still control them because that was a very weak part of their body. So whatever direction they wanted to turn, they couldn't turn. The one who was controlling and manipulating them had the influence and the power over them. And that's what a disciple is. It is a person who's taken upon himself, herself, the yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he controls that lifestyle. You say what he wants you to say. You do what he wants you to do. You work in the fields that he wants you to work in. And you, and, you, and you operate according to his plan. But the devil doesn't think like that. He says absolutely not anybody can be a disciple. It doesn't matter what religion it is. You don't have to continue in the word of God at all. Then look at verse 32. He said, you'll know the truth. Jesus says this and the truth shall make you free. So the devil comes along and lie number two, he tells people there's no such thing as truth. How many times have you heard that? That's just what you believe. So the, the, the belief with so many folks today is what's true for you may not be true for me, but what's true for me may not be true for you. There is no absolute truth. That's what culture and, and uh, the kingdoms of this world want people to believe. Now, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is something that does not fluctuate over time. It doesn't. It remains stable. The scripture makes it very plain. God does not change. That means he is not mutable. I am the Lord. I change not. And I think about this every time I hear people when they're trying to describe what's right and what's wrong with Christianity. Uh, Some years ago, out on the West Coast, they tried to develop a new religion in California. Of course, that would be the place they tried to deliver it or or, or create it, you know. Uh, But they called it Chrislam, which was a mixture of Christianity and a mixture of Islam. And the basic belief was we need to be able to bring people together of these two different faiths so that they will be able to recognize that all of them except the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we're essentially one. Of course, in Islam, they accept Jesus as a prophet, but not as the Son of God and not as the Messiah. 
and in Christianity, without Jesus being the Messiah and the Son of God, you don't have redemption. You don't have the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So they started this Chrislam, and you had all kinds of popular figures getting involved, and churches out there were taking up offerings to help build mosques and things like that. But I told a number of people when it was happening, I said, the only people happy about this will be the Muslims, if they're happy at all, because I said, they still retain their basic beliefs in what they believed about Jesus and Muhammad. But I said, it's the Christians who would have to sacrifice in order for the, for the two to merge. But see, the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ would never get involved with something like that anyhow. That would be people who don't know who the Lord is and certainly have no, no strong fellowship with the truth. So when the scripture here says you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free, the devil, he comes into today's society to say there is no truth. There's no truth. We don't want anybody to believe that, that there's one group of people on planet Earth who hold the only true path that leads to heaven. Now, I didn't write the book, and you didn't either, but the scripture says there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. That's, that's Acts chapter 4. I didn't write that. That was in there before any of us in here were born. So lie number two, the devil says that there is no truth. So our young people today grow up hearing that in school because we have pluralism. We have all kinds of different faiths and different cultures. And we're a melting pot of, of divergent opinions and things like that. And so out of pluralism then comes relativism. So there can't be just one singular truth. There have got to be a variety of truths that are parallel to one another. But you know as well as I do, that's exactly what the devil wants. Yeah. I, I, think, I think the thing with religion is religion was created by the devil to keep people from ever finding God. I believe that. Ever finding God. Because you can't run into the true God by just chasing after all of these different religions. If, if I say that truth is a man dying on the cross for our sins, being buried, then raised from the dead, and then seated at the right hand of the Father, and we see multitudes of people, millions of people saved by the blood of Jesus, conversions, you see Western civilization built upon this, great societies that come from Christianity, and then somebody else comes along and says, well, no, Hinduism is better. I hear folks starving to death, falling, passing out dead in the streets because they won't eat meat. And here you've got the belief in reincarnation that a cow or a fly could very well be someone's uncle or auntie. And you see in the streets that the cows will have little garlands around them as they're roaming up and down the mountainsides and the main streets. And no one will bother them at all because they could be, and they are, somebody's family. No wonder. The deception has impoverished so many people. Think of the witchcraft. Think of the sorcery. Think of the black magic all across Africa. Think of the superstitions in the jungles of Brazil, in Papua New Guinea, and, and many of the atheistic beliefs that stretch from Vietnam all the way into China. No wonder the devil doesn't want people to hear any kind of truth at all. 
But verse 33, they answered him, we be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man. How are you saying you shall be made free? So here's another lie that the adversary likes to tell people today. And that is Abraham doesn't have any seed today. That the Jewish people don't come from Abraham. These are just a mixture of a lot of different people that come from Europe and come from other places. But Abraham's seed isn't special today. You know, the Bible says that the Israelites are the apple of God's eye. And Romans tells us that all of Israel one day will be saved. That God really does have a special work and a special place in his plan of prophecy for Abraham's seed. And when you hear all across the television today, people attacking the the Israelites because they want to defend themselves or attacking the Israelites because of the fact that they are loved and beloved by so many different people in the West. I can tell you right now, they're loved and beloved, not because of where they come from, not because of anything like that. They're loved and beloved because of their relationship with God by covenant. That's it. The scripture says we who are Gentiles and have become Christians, we have been grafted in. Same way someone takes a small sapling and they and they graft in something in order to produce a fruit bearing branch or something like that. We have been grafted into the stump of Israel. We're the ones that know God. We're the ones that have a new covenant with the king. They also have a covenant with God, but they still need to come to know who Jesus is. So the Bible says the Christians are supposed to provoke the Israelites to jealousy. It's important for that to take place because even though they're Abraham's seed, they're not saved from their sin. How do I know that? Because Jesus told a Jewish man, you must be born again, which had to be a shock to him. He told another man who asked him, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? He said, how do you read the scriptures? And then he gave him a whole lesson and and how you're supposed to love God and not love any other kind of deity. And let's not forget, all 12 12 of the apostles were Jewish. And that this New Testament was written by Jewish people. All of them had to come through the blood of Jesus Christ. In the book of Acts, there are 28 chapters. And every chapter, there's a Jewish person preaching or a Jewish person getting saved. That's 28 chapters of the book of Acts. And when you consider Paul's epistles, Peter's epistles, John's epistles, they're all written by Jewish people. So the devil has continually had it out for the nation of Israel and also for early Jewish Christians because of their affection and their relationship with God. So there is a a blindness that has come to Israel in part, but there's a hostility from the devil towards the Jewish people. Just like the church consistently persecuted over and over again. Now, now make, make no mistake about it. If, um, if somebody down in Tampico, Mexico, was launching missiles over into South Texas, I guarantee you if the federal government wouldn't do something, the Texas National Guard would be down there ready to fight. You understand? And so when all of these nations are coming against a nation that's trying to defend themselves, it's not just a physical battle, folks. This is a spiritual hostility. The adversary absolutely hates the people of Jesus Christ. Hates them. 
Jewish folks and the Christians. So the, the devil has for years been trying to tell people that there is no Abraham's seed. Hitler tried to get rid of them. The Ayatollah Khomeini and so many of them in Iran and the Shiite Muslim faith, they have said consistently that the Jewish people are of no value presently, that God's covenant has passed from the Jews to the Muslims. And that's what the Koran teaches. That the Muslims are now the covenant people. Well, notice again in verse 33, it says, we were never in bondage to, to any man. So here's what the Jewish leaders and people were saying to Jesus. So here's another lie that the devil tells today, that nobody's in bondage. Just no such thing as bondage. Who needs freedom? Nobody has any kind of bondage at all. And we, we have a situation now where people with bad addiction, uh, certainly bad habits, you know as well as I do that these things are, are chains and shackles and some folks can't get out of them. They're just locked into them. I mean, just absolutely trapped in porn, see, absolutely trapped in alcohol. People who just cannot escape from all of these different things. And the devil says, it's really not as bad as you think. You know, there's not a whole lot of bondage, not, not near as much bondage as you think. And, and, our, and our, our teachers today in, in many settings uh, don't want people uh, to feel like something is bad, you know. So if you, you know, some, uh, I'm trying to think, the, I want to say the libraries in school, but it's not the libraries, where they have all the computer workstations in so many different schools. I'm hearing stories where many public schools do not want any kind of blocks put on the computer so that the children will be protected from certain kind of stuff. So that, that, that means if you're nine years of age, you can go into some of these places and you can watch the foulest and vilest stuff on that computer and, and people don't think about how that can become addictive and habit forming in a child. But what does the devil say through seminar after seminar? These are not bondages because these are not bad. Unrestricted behavior is not bad. Here's what we're facing every single day. And this is why Jesus said in verse 32, you'll know the truth and the truth shall make you free. But the devil today does not want anyone to believe that there is such a thing as bondage. See, These are lies that he tells consistently. These are lies that have been accepted by so many people. Look at verse 34. But verily I say unto you, whosoever commits sin is the servant of sin. So here's another lie. There's no such thing as sin. So we take away the stigma of sin. Now let's, let's offer a definition. Sin is the transgression of any commandment of God. It is a disobedient act that is opposed to the revealed will and way of God. That's what sin is. And when a person experiences sin, they are supposed to Deal with a sense of shame. 
Because this goes back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve reached out, grabbed the fruit, took the fruit, ate it. When they ate it, their eyes were open. Once their eyes were open, they were naked. They realized it. They felt bad. And they went and hid themselves, and they were fearful of the presence of God. But presently, as you know, there has been a strong move to remove any kind of stigma from what the scripture once said was a sin so that people now can participate without ever feeling bad about it. Right. See, This is what we're, we're talking about. Whosoever committed sin is the servant of sin. The Bible says we should not allow the members of our body to be used for purposes of iniquity. The world says there is no iniquity. So this is why we have all of these movements today to legalize prostitution. I mean, what's, what's so bad about that? If, I mean, it's a, it's a lady's body. It's a guy's body. If she, if she wants to sell it, then the argument in favor of it is it's her own body. How is that bothering you if somebody wants to give her money to do what she's doing? I mean, after all, people are doing that anyway, and if we don't take advantage of it, we lose all those taxes. Think about Nevada. They legalized it a long time ago. So that, that's the argument that comes in. People don't like the idea that the Bible says prostitution is a sin. See? So there's supposed to be a stigma attached to it. And we change the language to soften the blow of what people are doing. So in the Bible, we're in uh, the prophets. It'll talk about someone with a whore's forehead. Or to describe Rahab as a harlot. We, we don't like words like that, you know. Gotta have, gotta dress them up. I mean, she, she's an escort, you know. Gotta, gotta make it a little bit more professional, you know. She, she's a call girl or, or something like that. Uh, think of how presently, uh, we, we don't even like to use language that seems to criminalize certain behavior. So in this state right here, you're in the legal system, you're not allowed to call someone a sexual predator or offender. If it's, a, if it's a young person, you have to call them a youth who does sexual harm. If it's an adult, you have to call them an adult who does sexual harm. You cannot call someone in the justice system a criminal or an offender. You have to call them today in Nebraska a justice involved individual. See, all of this now is designed to remove the stigma that is attached to bad behavior. And so if we can remove derogatory terms, then we can also remove the feeling of guilt and shame that comes along with it. But folks, since, since this is a spiritual thing, the shame will be there. It's not going anywhere. Label it whatever you want to label it. But if somebody is doing something contrary to scripture, they will know that it's wrong. In every human heart, the basic Ten Commandments are there. In every human heart, you can go into the mountains of Tibet. You can go all the way down into Uruguay. You can find a Pacific Islander and you can ask them, if you marry someone, and then someone else is in a relationship with your spouse. Is that right or wrong? They'll say it's wrong. And I'm ready to kill somebody. Because they know that adultery is wrong. And you can ask that same person, okay, 
If, if you wake up one day and you're mad with somebody and you just want to make up a story and tell things that are untrue about them, is that good or is that bad? I said, that's bad. You shouldn't lie. Don't bear false witness. You see? In, in every culture of the world, you can find the basic Ten Commandments in some form. In some form. And people understand that. You can't work every day. Eventually got to rest. And as, as much as the atheists complain about, you know, they're not being a God, you can't find hardly any culture on the planet where somebody doesn't believe in deity. It, it, just, it just goes all the way back. Back, people know you're not supposed to murder. People know you're not supposed to do that indiscriminately and things like that. So my point is, is very simple. When it comes to the issue of sin, Modern views do not mesh with the biblical view because what God says is terrible. We turn around and say, oh, my goodness, isn't this wonderful. Oh, my goodness, you're just so lovely. See, The devil enjoys that, and he's having a heyday with it all. We, we listen to the uh, journalists. And the Hollywood people who try to tell us what it means to be a Christian and what it means to live for God. And they offer for us definitions all the time about what is right and what is wrong. Some of you probably never heard of the organization NAMBA, the National Man-Boy Organization. They've been working for decades to get rid of all of the Romeo-Juliet laws so that adults can have legalized relationships with underage people. And I'm watching how state after state is getting rid of their Romeo-Juliet laws so that where, where it used to be, you had to be, oh, we'll say 17 in most states. We'll say 17. In, in a lot of states, you had to be 17 in order to be somewhat legally grown and make decisions for yourself. But you know as well as I do, 50 years ago, there were people sneaking across the border to Kansas, getting married at 15, and 16 and things like that. But, but the, but the NAMBA group wants to make it so that a 40 or 50 or 60 year old guy can have a relationship with an 11 year old boy and it'll be fine. And the argument is that it is not a sin. It is not wrong. They did it amongst the ancient Greeks and Romans. So it must not be a sin. See, see the, the arguments over and over again. Continue to take the word of God and make it ambiguous. And the devil is a master at it. Think, think about the, the way we talk, you know, in, in conversation or the way it comes across on television. You, you can't use the N word if you're talking about someone black. You, you, you can't use bad words to describe someone who's white or Italian. They get upset if you use words that are derogatory in describing somebody who's Hispanic. Uh, so many different words in various cultures that people have heard repeatedly when they were growing up, not saying they were good, just saying people heard them, but yet the same people who now tell you that you can't say that or you've got to go to a language academy and be reformed and, re you know, all this stuff with your views. You watch the television and you got one lady after another calling somebody a female dog. See? One program after another. 
and, and we don't see the hypocrisy because the people producing it do not see the sin in it. They don't see the transgression in their communication where the Bible says, let your language be seasoned with grace. Let it edify one another. Again, whosoever commits sin is servant of sin. So the devil has lied about the essence of sin, the nature of sin, the progress of sin, even the existence of sin. So when people today get trapped in something, they don't think it's bad. Do you know in the military, to, to this day, it's still against the law for someone to commit adultery? But you know as well as I do, that's not a bad thing in society today. You, you, you'll find 60 years ago, most people wouldn't show up at the Thanksgiving dinner with their boyfriend or girlfriend that they were shacking up with. The appearance of shacking up was a bad thing, let, let, let alone tell somebody you're actually, actually doing it. it. We wouldn't show up at grandma's house. But, but today, oh my, they'll, they'll tell grandma and grandpa, look, this is my partner. Either you accept my partner or we just won't come. Well, I can tell you what my grandma would have said. You don't have to come, see? But, but today's society does not like to deal with the issue of sin. But you cannot lead people to salvation and get them saved until you can first get them lost. If a man or woman doesn't recognize that they are separated from God because of their behavior, separated from God because of their nature, how are you ever going to lead them to Christianity and lead them to salvation if they already believe, I'm as good as you because I'm not a sinner? And when people tell me that Jesus never called anybody a sinner, I just refer them to Luke chapter 15 when he tells the story of the Man with 99 sheep in a pen and one got lost. And then he said, you leave the 99, go get the one, come back. And then he said, there's joy in heaven in the presence of the angels because of the recovery of one sinner. They said, oh, when Jesus used the word sinner, he didn't mean it in a bad way. Well, if you thought he meant that as a compliment, you ought to read it again. The word sinner always refers to a person whose conduct is in need of or deserving of the punishment of God. But the grace of God is so powerful that it can change us. Let's move on here. So verse 35 says, And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. So two things here that the devil uses as a lie. Number one, he tells people Jesus is not the son of God. That Jesus was no different than any other Greek philosopher or teacher. He's no different than anybody else. There's nothing special about him. The disciples made up all of these teachings about him years after his death. He couldn't have been the son of God. He never said he was the son of God. That's what they'll say. But folks, you know as well as I do, he was God's son. The scripture makes it very plain on more than one occasion the father spoke from heaven, said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my son. Hear him. See? The relationship was there. Divine connection. And because he was the son of God, God validated him. God protected him. He was born 
of a virgin. He lived in this world without sin. He climbed up on that cross as a pure person, sinless person, bore our iniquities, was taken down, placed in a tomb. And on the third day, no human being was involved with his resurrection. There was nobody there rebuking death saying, Jesus, come back to life. God, the Holy Ghost, came into that tomb and raised him from the dead. And by the power of God and through his resurrection, we all are justified by faith. So I've come to believe in his shed blood. And in believing that, I know now that his life resides in me. And I have every expectation that one day I'm going to shed this natural body. I'm going to receive a glorified one and spend all of eternity with him. See, But the devil doesn't want people to believe that. He wants people to be under the impression that Jesus was no different than Joseph Smith, that Jesus was no different than Buddha, that Jesus was no different than anybody else that had a large following and then eventually died, that he just simply died because the, the Roman people didn't like him and he was, a, was guilty of treason or something like that. So there's another of the, the devil's lies. And in verse 36 also, shall make you free. The devil lies and said there is no form of freedom for people. See? See, redemption doesn't save. Redemption doesn't set the captives free. But take your own life as an example. What did God deliver you from? How did he save you? How powerful was your salvation? The Bible says, to whom much is forgiven, loves much. So you see some people, they, they, they are so grateful to God for the new life that they have that they, they want to give everything to God. Because this is, they just, they just realized my life was a mess. And because I know the king now, I know where I could have been. I know where I was. See, when God redeems you and pulls you out of the mess of sin and changes your life, you, you don't fall for the, the beliefs of other people that say all of that is just hocus pocus, and psychological and emotional magic. Oh, no, no, no. You, you know there was a change that occurred in your life, like the old song says, I was there when it happened, so I guess I ought to know. Yeah. And the person with an experience is not at the mercy of someone with an argument. That person who says over and over again, there is no way for a person to find lasting freedom. I say you just need to follow us around and watch us pray for people. I mean, just last week out there, praying for them folks down there in Kansas. I mean, here you had people, drug addicts and folks, marriages, needing miracles. I mean, I'm, I'm up there telling folks, look, we're, we're going to believe God tonight. We're going to tear the divorce papers up. We're going to believe God. He's going to do a miracle for some of you folks. And the ones who who just trapped in these bondages to substance abuse, there is a power that can deliver and bring immediate deliverance. Yeah. We got to believe that. I think some of the, the most miraculous things God can do, He can do when he, if He can get somebody on their knees and humble themselves 
And they'll lift their hands in surrenderance to God and you get some saints around them praying for them saying, oh, God, touch them, bless them, heal them and everything else. You'll find wonderful things will take place because you cannot overcome some things by pure willpower. Can't. I tell you every year come February that January 1st. People all all the time say. This January 1st, this is my year of deliverance. I'm quitting Baca and Chew January 1st. That's, that's it. Here we are. And come February 15th, they've quit 42 times. Because willpower alone won't do that. It takes the grace of God. It takes the power of God. A man or woman has to come to the end of themselves where they say, Lord, there's no way I can do this without you. And that doesn't matter what it is. Any situation in life. And if we come to the point where we say, Lord, I know that my attitude, my anger displeases you. God, I've tried everything and I can't get out of this. I'm trapped in this cocoon. I'm getting angry. I'm impatient. I'm blowing up. I'm hurting those that are closest to me. I'm making them weep. I'm making them crazy. I'm making them cry. So, Father, I need help. See, when people start praying prayers like that, they find deliverance. And Jesus is the one that brings the deliverance. The devil says, oh, no, 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 no. No, God made you like that. That's the way you are. You got to be happy about that. You, you, you've heard people when uh, they get angry and upset, and then they'll say something like, oh, that's just the Irish coming out of me. I say, oh, no. I say, I know a whole lot of Irish people don't act like that. Does that have anything to do with Ireland? But, but that flesh nature, it has to be crucified. It has to be Reckoned dead, as the Bible says, put to death, mortify the members of your body. Got to renew the mind with the word. So verse 37, I know that all of you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Here's one more lie that the devil uses. People will say to Christians, people will say to Jesus, I'm not trying to kill you because of your word. Your word isn't a problem for me. Saul was persecuting the church because of the word. He was persecuting the church because of the presence of Jesus. Now, don't tell me that in this world that we live in right now, the Christians aren't targets of persecution. Yeah, they are. When... Behind closed doors, you have political parties doing everything they can to marginalize the Christian so that they no longer have a voice. You know there's a problem. We're living in perilous times, folks. Up in the state legislature, all across this nation, people begin with prayer. Capitol Hill, the chaplain begins the session in Congress with prayer. But yet these same people turn around and vote and don't want prayer in school. Understand? All across this, this nation, you know, you can't have the, the Bible in school. Yet we've got machines in schools, public schools, some public schools where kids can go put a few coins in. They can get a condom out, have relationship with one another. The devil knows that if that Bible ever gets in that school again, it's going to be able to affect the consciences of young people and affect 
The people who hear God's word. He knows it. He's terrified about that. He doesn't want Christians to have any influence. And this is why Jesus could say, you folks want to kill me. You don't like me because my word doesn't have any place in you. And that is exactly what we have right now. People are fearful of the idea of Christians being able to gather again in mass. Oh, no, we we don't want any more promise keepers gatherings with 60,000 of them folks getting together saying they love Jesus and all of that. And the last thing we want is a bunch of people getting together in the stadium and worshiping and singing and praising God. Somebody might open up their mouth and say something about politics. So the best way we can keep everybody separated is keep everybody afraid. And as long as they're afraid of one another and afraid of the air and afraid of everybody, they'll just want to stay apart. Folks, I'm telling you, the devil knows exactly what he's doing. And when you find churches, or I should say Christians, when you find Christians that are outspoken today, those are usually the ones that the devil is angry about. You know, he's he's not mad at anybody whose belief is, you know, religion is a personal thing. We just keep that here in our heart. We don't say anything about that. Folks, when you read the New Testament, religion wasn't just a matter of the heart. It was something that you had to tell people about. You had to be a witness. Stephen was stoned to death because of his witness. James lost his life in Acts chapter 12 because of his witness. People all around the world today are dying in the Christian faith because of their witness. I think I shared this on, it might have been last week, I was talking about the Ugandan preacher who... uh, was in a debate with a Muslim and won the debate and then in the process led a bunch of Muslims to Christ. Some of the Muslims in the crowd were so angry and upset they followed the man as he was driving home and he had told his son who was in another car, this is going to be trouble so you don't follow me all the way to the village, you go off in another direction if you see where they stop me. So some, some guys on motorcycles went up in front of the, that pastor's car, stopped the car Son stopped and looked, saw what was going on. He'd made a turn down another road. Then he came back sometime later, and there was his dad. Last thing he saw was the people slapping his dad and hitting his dad. But when he comes back, his dad's body is laying there on the ground. They decapitated him and cut his tongue out of his, out of his skull because the man opened up his mouth, and he talked about the king. The devil will have people all over the television saying, We don't have a problem with Christianity. We don't have a problem with Jesus. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. They'll say the Jesus of the Bible, we don't have a problem with. What they mean is the Jesus that they fabricated in their minds. The Jesus that they believe doesn't say to Herod, you're a fox. The Jesus that they don't believe ever went into the temple and chased out the money changers. They want a Savior. They want a God who simply says, you can live any way that you want, and I'm going to tolerate your behavior, approve of your behavior, and then promote your behavior. It's one of the lies of the devil. Now, to tidy all of this up, verse 38 says, I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you've seen with your father. Jesus is differentiating now between the Father. His Father is heavenly. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if Abraham were, if you were Abraham's children, you do the works of Abraham. So they're, they're so deceived, they don't even realize that 
They're not even acting like Abraham, even though they think they are. Verse 40, but now you seek to kill me, a man that has told you the truth, which I've heard from God. This this is where the anger is. People don't want the truth that comes directly from God. They say, stop that. Stop that. Don't tell us you're just giving us your interpretation. Well, what are you giving us? You're giving us the exact same thing. Jesus is telling you the truth. Jesus is saying that he's proclaiming the truth, but people are saying we don't accept that truth. Same situation today. In verse 41, you do the deeds of your father. They said unto him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. And this is where Jesus takes them into this whole discussion where he says, your dad is the devil. How'd you like that? Yeah. That's pretty good. So he's showing them now, you are under the impression that your behavior and conduct is a reflection of Abraham, but I'm telling you, you're devilish. That's what they couldn't stomach. The idea that the Lord said you are fulfilling the lusts of your father. So in these last days presently, The lies of the devil are perpetuated. We have to know that the truth is in Jesus Christ. You don't have to do anything with the truth other than let it loose. You don't have to stand there and try to defend it. You don't have to make people believe it. All we have to do is announce it. Because once you pick up the book and let people know this is the inspired, inerrant, infallible, Word of God, that this book is the pathway, and this book is the lamp unto my feet. When people hear that, they now have to make a decision. Am I going to believe what they're saying about this God, and his son, and his redemption, or am I going to hold to my own views and my own opinion? And once you have been confronted with the truth, and then you choose to retain your hold on your own opinion, then your own opinion now becomes your God because you've rejected the truth and you now take your life and you govern and order your life according to your opinion. That's why Mr. A.W. Tozer said one time, the essence of idolatry is to imagine things about God that are not so and then to act like they are so. He said that's the essence of idolatry. And this is what we have in so many nations today. We fabricate in our minds the kind of God we want, and then we say that is God. But when God the Holy Ghost enters into the scene, he deals with life, he deals with death. He says, choose ye this day whom you're going to serve. There's a decision that has to be, has to be made. I, I like uh, Mr. Comfort, Ray Comfort, when he tells a story one time of evangelizing a lady on the telephone. He was talking about the importance of the law as an introduction to the grace of God. So he said he called one time to order some plane tickets on the telephone, and he got the lady, and he was saying uh, to the lady about, you know, where he wanted to go and so on and so forth. And in the middle of the conversation, he happened to ask her, did she go to church or was she a Christian? She said, oh, no, I don't do any of that. I'm just as good as any of you folks that do that stuff. 
You know, so there's a little pause there. They then went back to talking. And he said, if you don't mind me asking you a question, he said, have you ever, when you were a kid or anything, you ever took something that didn't belong to you? She said, well, yeah. He, he said, what does that make you? She said, well, uh, thief. He said, well, have you, you ever, uh, you ever told something that wasn't true about somebody or anything? He said, well, yeah. He said, well, woman, what does that make you? He said, well, just a liar. He said, I don't mean to be too forward, but have you ever committed an immoral act? He said, yeah. He said, what does that make you? And then he switched the conversation real fast and said, I'll take an aisle seat. You know, and of course, now the wheels are turning in her head. She's ready to have this conversation now because he's asked her a few questions that have put her in this condition where she realizes she's lost now. She's separated. She hasn't lived the way she needs to live. So now her question for him is, what do I do to get out of this? Now he can lead her to Christ, you see. This, this, is, this is part of the trap of the adversary, to keep people from ever experiencing any kind of sense of shame or sense of lostness because the culture today wants people to just feel good about what they're doing and how they're living. And God wants the Holy Ghost to have room to bring conviction, to change hearts, and to change lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word is true. We are so grateful that you have placed in this book verses that bring so much sober-mindedness to your people. And God, as we continue to meditate on your word, we want you to help us to love and appreciate the scheme of redemption more and more. Like that song says, I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. We honor you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.